0: Our workforce studio. It allows me to get up every day and continue to not only live, but to thrive. Wheelchair users are some of the most resilient people that I know.
1: VR Workforce Studio, podcasting the sparks that ignite vocational rehabilitation through the inspiring stories of people with disabilities who have gone to work Tech
2: support, sem- support, in a GALP GALP. position ALP. at NAS jer-
3: NASCO
4: Cabinetry.
1: As well as the professionals who have helped them.
4: A job and a career. You gotta look at how life-changing this is.
1: And the businesses who have filled their talent pipelines with workers that happen to have disabilities. To
2: help expand registered apprenticeship.
1: These are their stories.
2: Because there's such a great story to tell about people
4: with disabilities. Now
1: here is the host of the VR Workforce Studio, Rick Sizemore.
4: Welcome to episode 93 of the VR Workforce Studio podcast, Mad Gaming Skills and Brain Injury at the Clubhouse. Later in today's show, we'll talk with Sherry, who's a former tax representative from Jackson Hewitt and mother of two. She survived a car accident back in 2015, now has a brain injury. She tells us what it's like to be part of a clubhouse. And Jason Young, the Executive Director of Community Brain Injury Services, also joins us to talk about a new study focusing on clubhouses for people with brain injuries. We're really excited to bring you a story about uh, gaming and technology, one of the hottest new careers on the horizon And George Mason University. Just finished up a gaming and technology virtual job-shattering event last week. Here to tell us what that was like is Grayson Myers. Welcome to the podcast, Grayson.
5: Thanks for having
4: me. Yeah, I mean, this was a really cool event. Tell us about what happened. Walk us through the day.
5: Well, I mean, I got an invite to a Zoom meeting. I joined it and... In the meeting, I learned about uh, what the jobs are like in the tech field and what you need, what skills they are, and the uh, high demand for them, which really, really was shocking for me.
4: Now, you work with the Virginia Department for Aging and and Rehab Services. How did you and your counselor decide this would be a good option for you?
5: Oh, a while back when I first met her, I told her, like, I want to be like a, I want to have a job in the tech field. and She was like, okay, so she sent me that. She's been really
4: helpful. So I'm told you have some pretty clear career goals. What is it you want to do? What do you see yourself doing after you get out of high school?
5: Well, I would like a job in the technology field, most likely in uh, cybersecurity or programming.
4: What kind of things did you learn throughout the day?
5: Well, the thing I was really shocked is that um, there's a high demand for like um, cybersecurity in the government. And I was like, now, I remember hearing about how the government gives you like good contracts for, uh, pay and stuff and like insures you and that, and like, that's awesome. So that kind of wanted me to have a, well, oh, kind of add like an incentive to the cybersecurity job.
4: You were online with a lot of different people. What was it like, uh, interacting with the panel out at George Mason and some of the other participants? How did you, how did you do that?
5: Most people had their cameras on, but, uh. We could uh, unmute or like raise the hand or like put. There's a button to like raise your hand, which like lets people know that you want to say something, or you could just type stuff in the chat for everybody to see.
4: So you were engaged in in dialogue, but did you do some activities as well online?
5: Yeah, like we did a um, they did a award thing. They did like a raffle. They gave out awards to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really fun. Uh, and they did. They tell told us all about the jobs and what they need, and even told. Uh, Us about the IT jobs,
4: which is pretty cool. A lot of people who have disabilities see the IT field as really a good opportunity for them. Could you tell us about your disability? I have
5: uh, PANDAS, which stands for Pediatric Autoimmune Disorder Associated with Strep. Uh, Not many kids have it, but one out of 200. So it's not really a lot. But uh, it looks different in many people. But for me, um, it causes flare-ups due to the antibodies being created due to an infection. The problem with the antibodies, though, is that they don't go away after the infection is gone, Mm -hmm. so it causes those flare-ups.
4: Yeah. So how does the disability affect you?
5: Well, um, I'm in regular high school classes, but I need the uh, study hall for things like that. I have accommodations and frequent breaks and extended time to work on things when I am in a flare-up.
4: Yeah. So you see... It's a really clear career path into the IT field and that working well with your disability.
5: Yeah. It really made me want to get a job. Like, it inspired me. I'm hoping to start college at Germana Community College and after high school and hopefully get a tech job. But maybe I uh, finish or do a four-year degree at Mason because the text that they have there is pretty good as well.
4: Well, Grayson, you seem to be more into IT security, but one of the other participants online that day was focused on gaming. Let's take a listen to Zachary Tingen's comments on the event.
5: It was great. We talked about gaming, how many lines of program go into it. Well, I asked what kind of system they used for the gamings. Well, it makes people work confident and tells me what I need. I guess talking to these people who have been on work, like... They were interesting, and they told me a lot of stuff about the gaming industry, about, you know, how the different lines of codes contribute to different kinds of games.
4: Well, let's meet one of the people behind all this excitement, James Casey, who is the interim director of the Virginia Serious Games Institute and an assistant professor of computer games design at George Mason University. Welcome to the podcast, James.
6: thank you for having
4: me. Tell us what happened yesterday at this job shadowing event.
6: So for a while now, just as kind of a background of what we do, uh, we've had a game design program at George Mason University for over 11 years at this point. Um, So it's an undergraduate degree in in how to make games. It's very unique, and I won't go into all that at the moment. But as part of that, we uh, founded the Virginia Serious Games Institute, roughly six years ago and one of our prime uh, functions we have three of them we do applied research we have an incubator for people who want to start you know a company doing serious games which is really just any game that's designed for uh, not necessarily entertainment first so it's not fortnite it's not uh, among us or anything that's popular right now it's it's you know a game that might be used for education or training or simulation and so Part of what we do, though, is we do outreach. We start to teach uh, kids um, before they even come to college, or even adults, how to make games, so in middle school and high school. And so we have the Mason Game and Technology Academy. Through, you know, networking, which we encourage the kids to do at the event yesterday, right? Always get to know people. Uh, our folks at uh, Mason Game and Technology Academy got together with the folks at uh, at DARS, and they knew that there was a lot of interest, as we see, you know, Across the country at this point because the industry's grown so much in gaming with the children. And we've worked with Virginia to try to get it into schools, et cetera. Uh, and we offer classes at work, you know, either after school or during the summer for kids who want to take more and learn more about games before they go to college. And so we just thought it was a really great way to offer alternative uh, job paths for folks, right? And what we see too is we see this with kids um, from all over is, you know, everybody loves games. They're fun. They're engaging. Who wouldn't want to make one? But what's really great about it is uh, that technology and everything that's going into it is used in so many different industries at this point that um, it's not just making games. You can make commercials. You can make movie shows like The Mandalorian is all done with uh, game technology for its right. backdrops and you know sort of green screen. So we we just thought it was a really interesting way to show some alternative job paths from. Uh, jobs that you could get with, uh, no college degree to ones that, you know, if you go to college and get certain degrees, like our game design one, uh, you can get, uh, some very unique and very, uh, rewarding jobs in the games industry.
4: You know, this really levels the playing field for so many people with disabilities and offers tremendous opportunities for them to, as you said, get engaged, understand the profession, the industry, and find a career Mm -hmm. path without an extended uh, academic experience. But there was tremendous buzz about this event yesterday. What was it like to be there and to see some of these young people with disabilities so excited about gaming and technology?
6: Well, it it was great. Um, uh, You know, we we get a variety of folks that come into our program. Um, It's diverse in a number of ways. What was really uh, rewarding about the event is as we went through it, you could tell that there was genuine interest in how to do this and the things that went in. So as we were going through, we spoke for a good portion of the time, you know, answering questions from our moderator, which
3: is, you know, what usually
6: happens at these events but all of the while we were getting tons of questions in the, the questions and answering section and the, and the chat. And, and so as we were saying things, it was very rewarding because we were getting all sorts of questions in there from the, Oh, you know, like, you know, comments, like, Oh, that sounds like fun. I really want to do that to the really in depth things. Like, well, how does the game industry deal with, you know, some of the things that go on like crunch or overtime. And so, You know, there were kids here that had, uh, you know, definitely done their homework and were very interested in this topic. And it just shows how uh, popular it was. And it was very rewarding, too, to see that they really understood, you know, how this was a uh, potential uh, pathway for them. And that there's a lot of opportunities, regardless of, uh, you know, whether you have a disability, uh, whether you have, you know, an accommodation you know, and, and each and every one of us in our own way has different things that, you know, we have to account for when we go into a, a job or a career. Like I told them, I, I, I can get up and I can talk to people and I can do, you know, a podcast with you or I, I can talk to them, but that's not my normal uh, mindset either. I'm typically introverted, but, you know, you have to, you get, get used to it because you're You have passion and engagement with the topic, uh, and that helps people, uh, counter a lot of different things in their life, which is, which is really rewarding to see. We see that in our program as well.
4: Well, that is so absolutely true, and technology has such an impact on people with disabilities. And of course, assistive technology awareness is uh, has its own day on the twenty seventh of March. So that's coming up, and it's very exciting to see uh, what you're doing. Well, this is a uh, is a storytelling podcast, and you can tell from the other guests they have their various stories. Do you have? a recollection about yesterday afternoon. Did one kid stand out that did something really cool?
6: You know, we, we only get to see a little part of it because of the format of the uh, the, the way it's done. We, But I think the, the part that uh, struck me the most was the, the one or two people that, like I said, had done their homework and asked very in-depth questions, like the one I mentioned about uh, how to AAA uh, companies, uh, you know, deal with some of the issues that they've seen, like crunch time and things like that, and they're actively looking into it. That kind of interest is, is very uh, heartening, like I
4: said. And congratulations on the success of the gaming event. Oh,
6: thank you. Thank you so much.
4: James Casey comes to us from George Mason University. Both Grayson and Zachary participated in the job shadowing event through Virginia DARS. March 1st is International Wheelchair Day. Here with today's Rehabilitation Reflection is Vicki Varner.
0: Hi, and happy International Wheelchair Day. In 2015, I was in a car accident that not only left me a full-time wheelchair user, but also breathed life into me. I spent 18 years of my life walking. And in the last five that I've been in a wheelchair, I've packed so much more than those 18 years could even fathom. My wheelchair has brought me freedom, and it has brought me independence. It allows me to get up every day and continue to not only live, but to thrive. Wheelchair users are some of the most resilient people that I know, but that doesn't mean we don't face our own unique set of struggles. There are still a lot of biases out there, accessibility issues and discrimination. That is why International Wheelchair Day is so important so we can bring awareness to these issues. We must continue to educate and to advocate to grow not only as people, but as a community. So go out there, pop some wheelies, and celebrate the positive impact you have made and will continue to make in this world.
4: Vicki Varner, formerly. Ms. Wheelchair Virginia is a disability advocate and spokesperson. She currently works as a customer services associate for Virginia 529 and Able Now. Views expressed are her own. We've included her contact information in the show notes. On March 22nd, we join others around the nation in celebrating National Rehabilitation Counselor Appreciation Day.
5: She's very professional and she knows her stuff. And I just found it pretty easy to work with her. She also helped me with my resume as well.
4: Since 2007, we've set aside this special day to honor and acknowledge our rehabilitation counselors. In the words of the United States Congress, we commend the hard work and dedication that rehabilitation counselors provide to individuals in need and the numerous efforts that the multiple professional organizations have made to assist those who require rehabilitation. Here at home, we simply know them as our heroes that help people with disabilities to develop the skills they need to be successful on the career pathway as they help fill the talent pipelines for business and industry with qualified and talented people who happen to have disabilities. Thank you, rehabilitation counselors. Well, March is Brain Injury Awareness Month, And before we get to Sherry and her story, we're fortunate to welcome a couple of key leaders from Virginia in the brain injury community. Chris Miller is the director of the Brain Injury Services Coordination Unit at the Virginia Department for Aging and Rehabilitative Services. Here now to talk about CNI and the work being done at clubhouses. Welcome, Chris.
2: Thanks so much, Rick.
4: Tell us about CNI.
2: C&I, which is Virginia's Commonwealth Neurotrauma Initiative, was funded by the Virginia General Assembly in 1998 to fund research and services related to traumatic brain injury and spinal cord injury.
4: Chris, the CNI grant was involved in a nationwide study that looked at the effectiveness of clubhouse services for people with brain injuries. What can you tell us about that?
2: Brain Injury Services, led by Executive Director Jason Young, received $448,000 over three years to evaluate the impact of brain injury clubhouses. DARS was really excited about this project, in part because Virginia has really been a leader in developing clubhouses for individuals with brain injury services. It really shows how important these services for folks with brain injury are and keeping them connected, keeping them healthy, and building a, a community for
4: folks. Chris, we have Jason on the line to talk about the study. Jason Young is the Executive Director of Community Brain Injury Services in Richmond. Jason, welcome to the podcast.
7: Hey, Rick, thanks for having me. Um, pleasure to be here.
4: Yeah, so could you give us a brief overview of your services.
7: Community Brain Injury Services, we're, we're one of the, the nine state-funded brain injury service providers in the Commonwealth of Virginia. We're a nonprofit organization, and we serve an 18-locality area here in Virginia that encompasses the metro Richmond area all the way down to the Virginia Peninsula. We've been in operation since 1999. We operate two clubhouse services and an array of case management services, all specifically geared to survivors of brain injury.
4: Yeah. So what is a clubhouse and what's the main goal in helping people with brain injury?
7: So, so clubhouses have, have been around for six, seven decades now, and it's a predominant service model that developed as a client-driven response to deinstitutionalization back in the fifties and sixties. So, it's a service model that's been in wide use and continued in wide use, an international model for individuals with with mental illness, it's been adapted f- to serve individuals with brain injury uh, for about the last 20 years. And it's, it's primary purpose. I hate to gin it down to just one purpose because a clubhouse fills so many roles for, for persons that attend it. But I think it's, it's primary thing is to give members, which we call our our participants of the clubhouse, an opportunity to, to re-engage and re-participate, participate participate again as active members and of their communities.
4: Yeah. Well, Jason, we heard Chris Miller earlier talk about the CNI grant. What can you tell us about the study? and what you learned about clubhouse services for people with brain injury.
7: Our organization received a CNI grant in 2017 to study essentially the efficacy of brain injury clubhouses. We have five ABI clubhouses here in Virginia. They're all well-developed. They've been in operation. Um, Our millhouse program has been in operation for 20 years and the other ones have all been in operation for 15 plus years. We learned a lot of stuff, a lot of good stuff about what's going on. So we had two university research partners, Virginia Commonwealth University and the university of massachusetts medical school who who did the actual research on this and we had eight clubhouse partners the five here in virginia and then we had three outside virginia uh, clubhouses that participated we found first of all a, a substantial reduction in hospitalization risk factors for our folks so we had a substantial reduction in emergency room visits acute hospitalization, um, a lot of reduction in, in, in things that cause um, folks to go in the hospital. So things like a reduction in falls, an increased management of chronic conditions, a management of the number of medications that they're on as well. We also saw that they, they had showed reductions in, in depression scores, a reduction in the number of days mental and physical health are impairing. Their ability to to essentially live their life, and we also found that they had improvement in functional abilities, increased participation in home and community based activities as well.
4: Absolutely awesome! Uh, the effect that uh, these clubhouses are having in the lives of uh, people with with brain injury. We're very fortunate and uh, want to thank you for connecting us with Sherry from the Denby House who uh, unfortunately had a car accident back in 2015. She's a a mother, a grandmother, formerly worked as a tax representative for uh, Jackson Hewitt. Uh, She joins us now to give us her perspective on the clubhouses. And uh, so we'd like to welcome Sherry to the podcast.
2: Thank you so much. Looking forward to this.
4: Yeah. So could you tell us about your average day and what it's like at the clubhouse? What kind of things do you do there?
2: Okay, uh, well, pre, uh, I guess pre COVID was a little different. We, uh, we have different sections. There's an advocacy and outreach unit, a kitchen maintenance unit, and then you have the communication unit. And each one has a separate function that kind of keeps things going. And um, we would go in and we would get uh, tasks to do whatever unit we were in. I was in advocacy, advocacy and outreach. And we would do those tasks It's about lunchtime, and then we would reconvene and do more things in the afternoon. It was really great. Um, Post-COVID, it's been a lot different. We uh, meet at uh, 9.30 online virtually. A few people do go to the clubhouse, but I stay home, and it, it, it's different now. Well, I think it's, um, it's for me, it's been more engaging.
4: Mm-hmm. So you figured out how to navigate the pandemic and stay connected through the clubhouse virtually?
2: Yes, absolutely. I think it's the best thing they could have done for us that are at high risk.
4: Yeah. So you were engaged in a a demanding career in the tax industry. You had this car accident. It changed your life. And you're involved in the clubhouse. What What do you get out of the clubhouse on a daily basis? How does it make your life better?
2: Oh, it, it's incredible. Um, when I first had my accident, uh, I had a kind of a medical snafu at the very beginning. So I didn't get a lot of uh, the traditional therapies. I, I got a minuscule amount and I was I was treading water. It was really bad. And someone suggested the clubhouse and I walked well, it out. And it changed my life. I mean, it gave me the tools I needed to go for, um, I, I left, temporarily to go. I have, I have a job and I had to go back to work. I need assistance on it. Now I can't by myself. And, uh, but when that job ended, I came back to the class. Cause it just, it, it's like just standing still. So it's given me all the things that I've needed to explore new talents, uh, and then try to move forward in a different world.
4: Yeah. Uh, you mentioned uh, the clubhouse giving you a, a set of tools to, to work with. What are some of those things that uh, have helped you the most?
2: Um, well, they had a, at first the daily task sheet, um, you you fill it out and it's divided AM, PM and, you know, like morning and afternoon. And it has a certain number of little squares where you can put the job that or the task that you um were doing at the clubhouse and what I did is I took one and made copies and brought it home and used it for the things I needed to do at home. Mm -hmm. Um, They had things labeled at the clubhouse and I said oh well good that's a good idea so I made signs so I could stay on routines because everything at the clubhouse is very routine and routine is better for I guess remembering what you need to do. And for a long time, I had signs hung everywhere. Um, There's also the social aspect. Um, When a person gets a brain injury, there's such a change. Some of it's positive, some of it's not. And like for me, I had a personality change. My friends just vanished. Uh, And it was, it's been a big strain on my marriage. It's, um, it's a, it is a life changer. It's a game changer. And the, the clubhouse gives me that social interaction and positive reinforcement I need to be able to go out here in the world. Because, you know, on my um, when I had the accident, I basically had um, three jobs. Uh, the tax thing had just ended, so I was down to two jobs. And when I went back to work after the accident, one of the jobs, I had people make fun of me. And I was, I was shocked. I had never experienced that, you
4: know. Jason, what else would you want people to know most about clubhouses in this study?
2: There is a
7: tremendous need for community-based services for persons with brain injury. It's the second largest disability population in the United States. um, But there's just not a lot of dedicated services out there for them. And what we found through this study is that the development of of a quality ABI clubhouse in in local communities can be a huge resource and a huge asset, not just for persons that attend them, but also for their caregivers and for the community at large to have one of these programs in operation to serve persons with brain injury in their communities.
4: Jason Young is the Executive Director for Community Brain Injury Services in Richmond, Virginia. Thank you for uh, being on the podcast today, Jason.
7: Oh, you're welcome, Rick. It's my pleasure.
4: March is a time to celebrate the great profession of social work during Social Worker Month. The theme for Social Worker Month 2021 is Social Workers Are Essential. Check the link in our show notes for more information from the National Association of Social Workers at socialworkers.org. It's time for our National Clearinghouse Report with the always informative and entertaining Sherry Takamoto. Welcome to the podcast, Sherry.
3: Hey, Rick. Thank you. And have you noticed that this is one year since the COVID-19 pandemic
4: when everything shut down? (laughs) And we're still keeping on.
3: And life is as complicated as ever. And I thought this would be a good time for folks to revisit what choices they made when they had to suddenly pivot to online and think about what else is out there.
4: Yeah, what lessons have we learned?
3: I've provided several resources on providing remote services during the pandemic, including teleconferencing, remote delivery of services, and really some of those ethical considerations that we may not have paid close attention to at the beginning of all this.
4: Uh, that's, those are very timely topics. And it's Brain Injury Month.
3: Yes. And so for a change of pace, I've added info comic Series on TBI and chronic pain. So folks can look at that in a different um, way of, of seeing traumatic brain injury. And it's also Developmental Disabilities Awareness Month. So we'd like to encourage folks who work with people with developmental disabilities to help them make great decisions with motivational interviewing, to plan for their futures, and think about college.
4: And of course, we can't forget that it's Rehabilitation Counselor Appreciation Month as well.
3: Yes. And every day is Rehabilitation Counselor Awareness (laughs) Month at the NCRTM. And so um, we appreciate you and we send you all kinds of resources that are in our NCRTM library that's linked in the show notes. And bonus topic.
4: Bonus topic.
3: Month, bonus topic next month is tax time. Oh. And and <laughs> this year, it might be good news for people with disabilities who did not get their stimulus checks. So we share some taxes and tax preparation tips for people with disabilities, as well as um, remind folks that there are tax incentives for employers who hire people with disabilities.
4: Yeah. Sherry Takamoto leads the Rehabilitation Services Administration's National Clearinghouse for Rehabilitation Training Materials and has been podcasting with the VR Workforce Studio since January 2018. Thank you, Sherry. Yay. Here's Lynn Harris, Director of the Wilson Workforce and Rehabilitation Center Foundation.
2: Foundation is pleased to bring you these exciting stories of how vocational rehabilitation is changing people's lives. Your support helps students gain the skills and credentials they need to be successful in business and industry. We thank all of our partners in podcasting who made this episode possible. The Council of State Administrators of Vocational Rehabilitation, CVS Health, Daikin Applied, The Hershey Company. Hollister, Inc., and United Bank. You can find out more about becoming a sponsor at www.rcf.org or find our contact information in the show notes at www.vrworkforcestudio.com.
4: You can always find another exciting episode as we podcast The Sparks That Ignite Vocational Rehabilitation, here at the VR Workforce Studio. Until next time, I'm Rick Sizemore.
1: The VR Workforce Studio podcast is owned and operated by the Wilson Workforce and Rehabilitation Center Foundation. The foundation publishes and distributes the VR Workforce Studio and manages all sponsor arrangements. Audio content for the podcast is provided to the Wilson Workforce and Rehabilitation Center Foundation by the Virginia Department for Aging and Rehabilitative Services in exchange for promotional considerations.